Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Rookie Life Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Prophet, and I want to say thank you so much for joining us here today for episode 13. Okay, so let me ask you a question. What do you picture when I say the words dove hunting or duck retrieving dogs? You're probably picturing some big burly guy decked out all in camo with his gun strapped to his back with his trusty black lab sitting obediently by his side. Maybe his shoulders are even kind of forced back and he's puffing up his chest in the universal manly stance of a hunter. What you probably don't see is a petite woman and her ferocious Jack Russell Terrier claiming dog titles, and bringing down wild game. But what if I told you that hunting isn't just a man's game? No, sir. No, ma'am. It's time we change the picture in our minds to include those awesome women out there paving their own way in what we would typically call a man's world. Guys, today we're talking to a personal friend of mine who is doing just that with her booming dog training business. But if you're here for the very first time and you're wondering what other fun things do we talk about here at The Rookie Life, well, let me tell you. We focus on what it means to start something new, even when you have no idea where to begin, how to develop new skills in all areas of your life, and how to find that it factor that will keep you motivated every single day. So join us as we dive headfirst into what it means to be a rookie. Come on, rookies. We all have to start somewhere. rookies and welcome back for episode 13. Before we dive right into our special guest today, I wanted to let you know a couple of things. First, I wanted to remind you that we always provide the show notes on each episode, so if you're interested in learning more about any of our guests, then visit crystalprofit.com slash podcast. That's crystal with a K, profit with two F's and two T's to see the show notes for this week's episode. You'll also find social media links for all of our guests so you continue to follow their journey. The next thing I wanted to remind you is to be sure and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. There are some really exciting things around the corner and I cannot wait to share them with you. And while you're at it, please rate and review the show on iTunes. We recently did our first giveaway, and it was so much fun. Plus, in the future, we're going to be choosing random reviewers to receive some really cool Rookie Life merchandise. You can leave a star rating between one and five stars, and you can also feel free to leave a comment on what you think of the show. I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity to get some really cool stuff. Plus, who knows what the prize will be next time. Okay. Now that we've gotten all that out of the way, I want to introduce you to our friend, Alex Brittingham. Alex grew up hunting with her family and got into waterfowl hunting and dog training when she met her fiancé in college, and he was a big-time bird hunter. Nitro was the name of her first duck dog, and he was the reason that she got into training dogs in the first place. She's been in the hunting industry all of her life, but has been specifically retriever training for eight years total and doing it professionally for three. She lives in Beaumont, Texas with her fiancé, and they love waterfowl hunting, frog gigging, elk hunting, deer hunting, and basically anything outdoors. 
Okay, and I can't go any further without mentioning their four dogs. Nitro, Boudreaux, Dixie, who are all the black labs, and Gator, the infamous Jack Russell Terrier with his own Instagram account. So, rookies, I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. Here is my interview with Alex. Okay, Rookie Life Podcast, I'm so excited for our guest today. It's Alex Brittingham, and welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Y'all, I have known Alex for years and years. We grew up in the same hometown, and we have brothers that are the same age, and we've known each other forever. So this is so cool to watch your journey and everything you've been doing for the last few years, but just give us... For the people that don't know, a little bit of your background and your life story and how you are where you are today. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I started, well, I started hunting when I was about four years old and I always loved dogs, but I never, you know, formally trained any of my dogs. We just had, we always had dogs. We always had hunting dogs and Brussels and stuff like that. And obviously, you know that I come from a hunting family, so uh, we, you know, we did all kinds of stuff. We hunted big game and, and stuff like that, but I didn't get into duck hunting until I was in college. Uh, I met my fiance and, and he really was a big duck hunter. So, um, you know, I, I actually got a dog from my dad and I thought, you know, I don't know how I'm going to train this dog because I've never really formally trained a dog in my life, but you know, I'm, I'm in college, so I have tons of time and, that's kind of how I started training dogs. Um, but you know, it wasn't really working out with nitro. And so I actually sent him to a trainer after the first couple months. And when he got back is when I got really into training because I wanted to keep up all of the work that that guy had done. You know what I mean? You spend all this money and send your dog away. So every single day we would go to the park and I would do drills with him and stuff like that. And that kind of evolved into me running hunt tests, AKC hunt tests, which is, you know, a big thing in, in a retriever trainer industry is, you know, um, kind of bettering your dog and getting titles on them. And, you know, if you're going to breed them, you want to have titles on the dog to prove that they can do the work. So that's how that started. And then I, I just had friends that, you know, kind of said, will you train my dog? You know, you've got <laughs> free time because... Uh, I was a landman out of college and, you know, oil and gas kind of went down the drain. And so I, I was working for an outdoor company uh, from my home. And so I had a lot of free time to go train their dogs. And, and that just evolved into me training lots of client dogs. Now I have uh, up here with me in Chama. So, um, you know, so now we're, we're just trucking along. <laughs> Keep, so, the business what? keeps growing. Well, that's awesome. Well, what breed specifically is it that you're training and what exactly are like, if, if I were a client coming to you, uh, what type of dog would I have and what would I expect whenever, um, they're done training with you? Specifically, well, typically it's labs. Uh, although a lot of you know, a lot of people get um, Chesapeake's, Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. There's Nova Scotia Duck Tolling Retrievers. Golden Retrievers, obviously, are a big one. Um, and then there's some other off-breeds. People sometimes will, will try to train their pointers <laughs> mm -hmm. to retrieve and, and draught hars and poodle pointers. There's tons of different breeds that 
are considered a retrieving breed, but 99% probably of the dogs that I train are labs, black labs, uh, chocolate labs, and yellows. Um, but black labs are probably the most common. Um, but you know, once, once, well, that's kind of a hard question because the dog, the dog can be with me anywhere from two months to four years. I mean, there's really no end to the amount of training that you can do. I mean, if you want to, if you want to have a master level dog, which is the highest level hunt test dog that there is, that's a four to five year long process. Um, you know, you can expect to maybe get your dog back for hunting season. And then right after hunting season, you send them back. So that's, that's like having your dog basically three months out of the year. Wow. Um, but the typical client sends their dogs for about four months, four to five months. And that's a, you know, fully obedience trained off lead collar conditioned, um, whistle trained. So they'll sit on a whistle and, and come to a whistle. Uh, let me see, force fetched, uh, running, you know, basic single marks. That's, that's about four to five months of training. Um, so it's a long process, you know, and if they, if a dog comes to me for two months, that's usually just obedience. That's just basic obedience. Right. And I'm going to have to talk to you. Do you train Boston Terriers? Cause I'm going to send my dog. (laughs) Do you do children too? Cause I will send my kids and the dog and (laughs) I mean, the kids would be foreign for me for sure, because I don't have any kids yet, but, but I tell my friends this all the time. It's not much different than children. I mean, the only difference is dogs don't progress past about probably about a three-year-old's brain, Uh I would say. Yeah. And, you know, you don't put your kids in a kennel and you don't use e-collars, you know, electronic collars on them. So (laughs) there are some differences there, but, you know, as far as rewarding bad behaviors, it's totally the same. I mean, um, you know, rewarding good behavior and rewarding bad behavior, I'd say it's about the same. Yeah. That's so, so true. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I could train the Boston Terrier, though, I think. I, I trained, you know, Jack Russell's before, so. <laughs> well, um, we might have to talk once we get off this phone call about Mr. His name is Wally, <laughs> and he is just a hot mess half the time. And he's, and I know it's because we don't spend as much time as we need to with him. Oh, yeah. So we might have to talk well, about that. <laughs> mine, mine are all, mine can all be a hot mess as well. Even my own dogs. I mean, they all, they always challenge you. I mean, there do, it's doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter how well they're trained. There's <laughs> always going to be challenging moments. I mean, Dixie's, she's my uh, four-year-old lab and she's probably the most well-trained dog that I have. And she still drives me insane, yeah. you know, on a weekly basis, at least. I mean, there's always at least one thing she does throughout the week that just drives me nuts. So I get it. Yeah, totally. Well, and so you're talking about, you know, where you train the dogs and everything like that. So is this um, a place you were saying that y'all are actually in New Mexico right now? So do you do this um, just certain times of the year and then you come back to Texas or how does your location work um, when you're doing training? Yeah, so I train, I'm in Beaumont, Texas, and I train mostly, you know, most of the year I'm there. The only time I'm not there is if for some 
up to Oklahoma. My dad's got a duck club up there. And occasionally throughout duck season, I'll go up and spend like, you know, seven to 10 days up thing slash training. And I'll take all the dogs with me. Or um, in the summertime, I try to do a month long trip. Well, the last couple of years, it's really only been about um, two to three weeks. But this year is a month long trip up here to New Mexico just to escape the heat. Obviously, you know how bad Texas heat is. So working outside in it, you know, kind of sucks in the summertime. And and this just kind of, you know, this is the perfect to do it because, you know, it's probably the hottest month and I can survive all the way through about mid-June in Texas. It doesn't get too bad. You know, I get up really early. Like I get up at probably 445 or as soon as it, I try to get out. You know, I try to get out and train as soon as it's light. Right. And, you know, so I work around that. And then, you know, I may be done by one thirty or 2 in the afternoon in the summer times because I train so early. Yeah. But coming up here, it's nice. You know, I thought because it gets it gets light very early here. And so I said to myself that I was going to get up as soon as it was daylight, get out there and start training. But the weather's so nice here. That that hasn't happened. I've been sleeping in. It's been really bad, you know. And by sleeping in, I mean six thirty or seven. Right. But <laughs> right. to me, that's that's pretty late. And no, so yeah, it's been sure. it's been a struggle here to get up on time. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally understand that. I'm an, I'm an early bird myself. I'm normally this summer my relaxed sleeping in was like five thirty. So and school's about oh to yeah. Start, well, and so with I'm kids. Like, oh. Well, it's the only time I can get anything done. I have to get up early exactly. in the morning to get it done. So I love, Absolutely. but I love to hear that because it's totally doable to do things early in the morning, even if it's hot outside, because, you know, you just got to, if it's what you're passionate about, you don't, it's not work and it's not this thing that, right. you, that you dread, you know, you're excited to get up and get going for the day. So I just, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point because my major was marketing and I'm somewhat using marketing, you know, trying to get my business name out there. Other than that, I'm totally, you know, on the opposite side of the spectrum as far as my my job now. Yeah. <laughs> so. And, you know, it's funny because I actually talked to someone earlier today um, on an interview and we were talking about just because you study one thing or you think you know, you're going to be doing something, you know, one way, it doesn't matter. It's just all kind of like all a a piece of the puzzle, you know, that you're putting together. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think, oh, well, I got my degree in this, but that's not what I'm doing. So I'm a failure. And I just, I hate for people to think that because it's like, no, 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 no. That's not how life's supposed to work. You know? No, not at all. Just keep going and keep doing. (laughs) You know, I don't think, I think a lot of people who, graduate with one major, you know, go and do something completely different. I think that's honestly more common unless you major in maybe finance or something like that. I mean, I feel like that's more common than, than actually going and working exactly in what your major was in, you know, unless you go, you know, you want to be a doctor or a vet or something like that. But man, I mean, marketing, even right out of college, I didn't have a marketing job. Yeah. I worked in oil and gas, <laughs> so yeah. It, it's yeah, it's really crazy how that works. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, but like you said, it's something that you're still using, you know, whether it's to market your own business or, you know, whatever cool things that you're working on. Okay, so this definitely plays into the marketing side. Y'all have to go check out her videos that she does when she's training the dogs because I was blown away. I was showing my husband and I'm sure, you know, the videos change from time to time and place to place. And by the time this, yes. this episode airs, it'll be totally different, but we were watching one of all the dogs hanging out by the pond and then you whistled or you snapped or you, you know, you did whatever. And then all of a sudden just like all these dogs just jump into the water at the same time. Complete chaos. I was like, I love this, but it's so, it's like, you're totally marketing yourself and what you do because I couldn't stand there with how many labs do you have with you right now? (laughs) I have, well, I've got 15. Technically, actually I have 16 because I've got my dad's dog here. That's retired. He's out of town. And so I've got his dog here too. So I take him with me uh, to train every other day or so. But anyway, yeah, 16 dogs. And, you know, like that's, yeah, you're doing amazing things because you may think like, oh, you know, this is just the job. This is day to day. But for an outsider looking in, I'm like, you have so many dogs with you and they're all just (laughs) completely still until you tell them to go like that is a testimony to, (laughs) to your training for sure. Right. (laughs) That's yeah. And that's, that's definitely the most important thing to me is obedience. That's such a stepping stone for the rest of training. You can't have, you can't do anything else in training unless you have good, solid obedience. Mm -hmm. I try to work on that. I try to work on that a lot. I was running blinds earlier and the only way for me to get up to the ponds that I like to train in uh, with my older dogs is to ride a four-wheeler and they just run along and it's not too far. I mean, it's right up the hill, but I just can't take my truck and trailer now that I have a bigger trailer. Um, and so I had them all out there earlier. I guess it was 13 dogs out there and they all have to honor which means, you know, watching the other dog work and they're sitting in their spot or laying down or whatever. And then whenever they get up, instead of releasing them just on okay, I release them each by their name because they're all older so they can handle that. Uh So that's, you know, that's a big thing to me is, is steadiness and obedience because, you know, a lot of people get their dog back and they don't have great obedience because the trainer rushed through it. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. and so I try my to do that. Well, that, I think that's awesome. I think I think you're doing a great job. And like I said, y'all Thank have you. to just go check out her videos because it just blew my mind. I was like, there's, I was like, I need to go to talk to her about some of the tips. Like I said, for the kids, I'm be like, how can I get the yeah. kids to do some of this stuff? How can you get the kids to honor each other? Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, if you figure that out, you have a yeah. gold mine on your hand, sister. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm not quite ready for kids yet. I think they're harder than dogs. I don't think they're easier. You know, and it's so funny because we have three kids and then we threw the dog in the mix and we're like, well, maybe they'll all entertain (laughs) each other, but he's the neediest one out of all of them. So, oh, I bet. Oh my gosh. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Boston Terriers are so cute. Oh my gosh. And he's just, they really are. He's about a year. He turned a year in August. So the first of this month and he's just so funny. He's such a mess. <laughs> I know. They're just I go wanted ahead. to uh, go ahead and dive right into this is the number one question that I wanted to ask you about. And we had briefly discussed this earlier, but um, I want to know what it's like. So whenever I think of 
the hunting and the wild game and just everything, you know, if you put the umbrella of outdoorsy, you know, you just picture a man. And what mm-hmm. is it like for you as a woman working in this industry, whether it's hunting, dog training, anything like that? What has been your experience with that? I've been in the industry for a long time. As far as the hunting industry goes, the dog training world is, you know, a little bit uh, more new to me than, than the hunting industry, but it's honestly, this is so weird. You know, a lot of people, you would think that I would be intimidated by it, I guess, but I grew up, you know, you know, my brothers, Baron and Trevor, Mm -hmm. and I grew up with two older brothers, my dad, um, my mom is pretty much a tomboy. I mean, we're all, (laughs) we're all pretty outdoorsy. And so that was kind of my comfort zone growing up. And even in college, I thought, you know, I want to, I really need to work in the hunting industry because otherwise I'm going to be so out of my element. I don't know what I'll do if I have a regular, um, not a regular job, but a job that, that doesn't, that doesn't deal with hunting or dog training or something like that. And so it's, it's actually, it's actually, I feel like where I thrive. I love going to all the conventions that we do. We do a lot of Dallas Farm and I do NRA. Uh, I'm a pro staffer for a um, Franke. It's a shotgun manufacturer. And so, you know, I go to NRA every year and I love that. I love talking to everybody and, and, you know, getting, um, you know, getting caught up with people that you don't see throughout the year and stuff like that. It doesn't intimidate me at all. Hunt tests were very intimidating though. I will say at first, because that was very new to me. I mean, the hunting industry has been doing that my whole life, but going to my first hunt test was the most nerve wracking. So explain to me, explain to me done. what that is exactly. What is a hunt so, test? So have you heard of field trials? By chance, I've heard of them, but I don't know exactly what they okay. are. So they're both they're both about the same. They're dog trials. Um, you know, you take your dogs there and you get tested on your dog's skills. So, you know, there's obviously different levels for different dogs. Um, I do all different levels because I have client dogs. So you know, whatever level the, the client wants me to do, you know, I'll do a junior test or senior or master test. But that's um, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's meant to simulate hunting, bird hunting in the best way possible. And they judge you in a bunch of different areas. You know, they judge you on obedience. They judge you on your marking skills. They, they judge you. I mean, you know, you as a handler judged as well. And honestly, the times that I've failed a test are typically because of a mistake I made, not my dog. Mm. You know, there was normally a way that I could have stop that from happening. So it's a huge learning experience each time I go. And as I've climbed the different levels, you know, now I mostly, I mostly only run senior and master tests, which are the higher levels and going from even just going from senior, there are so many more things that you have to be aware of. And, you know, the wind plays a huge factor in, in the way dogs run a mark or run a blind. And, you know, if they can smell other birds or something like that, it's all, it all comes together and just, you know, one little can, can fail you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, and, and, you know, there's a lot of, especially at senior and master, 
mostly pros, um, you know, professional trainers. It's there's um, there's a good handful of amateurs as well. I mean, you know, obviously there's lots of amateurs that do it. Doesn't matter if you're a pro or an amateur, you all run together. Um, so that was that was the most nerve wracking thing. I went with my dog Nitro test probably uh, seven years ago now or six years ago. And we failed on the first day and it was totally my fault. I was so nervous. I mean, my dog was completely feeding off of my nervous energy. I mean, I've since learned that if I don't calm myself down at a test, my dog is going to feed off that and they're not going to do well because of it. And, and so it's a, it, it was very, you know, you've got all these people watching you, you know, you go up to the line and there's 20 or 30 people watching you run your dog. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if your dog does something stupid or you do something stupid, everybody's watching and they're all whispering behind your back. I know because, you know, I do it too because, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not necessarily bad. I mean, it's not uh-huh. always bad. We're always talking about each other because at hunt tests, you, you're tested, uh, you're, it's not first, second or third place. You're, you're just testing, you know, you're running a test against yourself basically. So you're not competing against the other dogs. Right. So everybody's cheering everyone on. Nobody wants, you know, a dog to fail that that's not it at all. But, but you know, that as you're up there on the line running and your dog, you know, you give your dog a back left cast and it goes right and, you know, fades with the wind or whatever you know that everyone behind you is going, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Okay, blow your whistle. They're all talking about you as yeah. you run. And, and so the first time I, I went, I just thought, oh, my gosh, this is, this is awful. I mean, I'm going to cry up here. I don't even know. Um, but as I've gotten older and I've run more tests, I realize that everyone gets just as nervous as I do. Maybe not the pros that are, you know, 50 years old and they've been doing it since they were my age, but you know, pretty much everyone that goes to the line has some sort of nerves. I mean, it's kind of like hunting. If you don't get nervous, then you need to stop doing it because you don't care about it anymore. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not, your heart's not in it. So, so it's a good thing, but it it is, it's nerve wracking because it's guys, there's a handful of girls and, you know, it, but everybody, everybody's friends, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I get along with guys probably better than I get along with girls at times. Yeah. And so that, you know, that's been easy for me. I'm a, I'm a talkative person. <laughs> so if I don't know anybody at a test, I'm actually going to one in Colorado this weekend. And I think I'll only know one person there, but he's so nice at these tests. I mean, we all end up talking to each other and meeting each other and talking about dogs. I mean, you find so much common ground that it's not a huge deal, you know, once you're used to it. Exactly. Well, okay. So you said you have one coming up this weekend, but is this something that you do, um, sporadically throughout the year or is it only during, um, certain hunting seasons or how does that work for you, uh, for a schedule for the year? So, well, I train dogs year round, but okay. testing only happens in the fall and in the spring. So there's, well, it happens year round because, you know, during our summers, there's, there's tests that are being run up in Minnesota and, um, Michigan and places like that, you know, Montana, but 
for Texas, which is mainly where I run, I mean, Texas and Louisiana are typically where I would run a test. So Texas and Louisiana's season is about starting in October through about January. You know, there might be a couple, they don't run a lot of tests during hunting season because a lot of people who test their dogs duck hunt as well. So, you know, there's a couple tests in like December and January. Yeah. Mainly it's October, um, September, October, and then starting back up again in February through about May. Okay. So it, it's, you know, if you really wanted to run your dog year round, there's trainers that travel with the seasons of the tests. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of trainers up in Minnesota right now running all the tests up there. Yeah. Well, that's cool that, I mean, but, for you as a trainer, you know, to be able to, to take on different clients, you know, like meet their specific needs, whether, like you said, it's just a few months or, you know, it's several years, then you can, you know, in the meantime, while you're training them, is that how that works? You would take one and test them or is it, um, is this your, or is this your dogs specifically that are you, that you're taking to the test? Mainly. So I only have the average trainer probably has about 15 to 20 dogs at their kennel, mm -hmm. but some have 30, some have 50. So they're obviously training or I'm sorry, testing a lot more dogs on average than I am because I only have, so up here I have 10 dogs, but at home, which I plan to expand in the next, actually in the next few months I'm expanding, but at my house right now, I only have eight kennels so I can train eight or nine dogs. At a, I've got one that I've, I've raised uh, from a puppy. So I have him inside my house. Okay. So nine dogs, but out of those nine dogs, there's really only a couple at a time that will want me to run tests with their dogs. Cause most of them only want a hunting dog. Yeah. And because testing, testing's really good. If you're going to breed your dog. Okay. Um, or if you just want the bragging rights, that's, you know, right. <laughs> for me, it's really the bragging rights, you know, just it's, for me, it's a way of keeping my dogs training up and having a certain standard that I want to keep. You know what I mean? And yeah. so that's, that's why I love to test my dogs because, you know, if you don't, if you don't set that standard for yourself, then you might start slacking or not require certain things of the dog or whatever. So that's, that's why I got into it. Uh -huh. Um, obviously now I breed my dogs, so it's, it's more for breeding purposes probably than it is the standard. But, um, anyway, right now for this test, I think I'm running eight dogs, but, um, but yeah, the way it works is if you send a dog to me and you want it tested, mo mostly what I do is senior level and up. So that's eight months of training to, you know to start out. Uh -huh. And then after eight months, you're probably ready to run a senior level test, but then you have to pass five to get your title. Oh, wow. So that can take, you know, that you could do it in a season easy. It just depends on how many tests you run. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will leave their dog and I'll have it for three or so months while I'm testing and then I'll send it home. Yeah. But the master level dogs that I run, a lot of those people take their dogs home for certain periods of time and then send them back to me like a couple months before tests start up. Okay. 
So just to get so I have seasoned and well, well, um, what's I'm thinking the get refresher them. course. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Getting them tuned back up. So that's actually what I've been doing all month is I got three dogs back that I'm running in master and one or no, just one that I'm running in senior. So I got them back a month ago. I've been working with them all month and then we'll run this test this weekend. And then when we get home, I'll still have those certain dogs because I'll be running tests into September and October. But, you know, like I said, they may go home for a couple weeks and come back. Um, some of them really, now that they've been with me for a month, they may go home and then they may just drop them off on the weekend for me to take them to the test. I do things a little differently than some trainers because a lot of the dogs that I have right now are pretty good friends of mine. I mean, they may have been clients at first, but now they're good friends of mine that I, right. you know, I, I trust them to take their dog home and, and not screw them up between right. the time that they take them home and us running the test. So, right. Well, that's so cool. I, yeah. I love this, the whole idea of, um, of just the business that you've created for yourself. Like, I think it's awesome. You know, you found something that you knew you were good at, which was hunting and, you know, how you could branch out in your own way and do something that you love to do. I think that that's awesome to be able to, you know, not go a traditional route of, oh yeah, I got a right. great job right out of school. And, you know, like you can make it your own idea of what, you know, your perfect world or your perfect job would be. And I, just, I think that's awesome. And I'm so proud of you. Like I just, oh, oh. thank you. <laughs> so from this, I have to tell like, uh, or I'm going to let you tell the wonder story that is moose and oh, yeah. how amazing. So, so please just tell everybody about, about that and his journey and your journey with him. Okay. Yeah. No, moose was, I don't know if, did you ever meet Moose? I, I don't didn't. know if you did. I didn't. Okay, I saw so, him vicariously on social yeah. media. I knew him that way. <laughs> I know. I loved him so much. Well, well, it started out with Hank, but Hank didn't retrieve. Uh, but he did start out. That's, that's what started our love, our family's love for Jack Russell's. And, you know, Hank passed away. And after Hank passed away, we got Moose. And, you know, like I said, he wasn't formally trained. We sent him to obedience school and he flunked out. I mean, he just, he wasn't really, he, he wasn't the kind of dog that you tell what to do. I mean, he had a mind of his own. Yeah. He was going to do him no matter what. <laughs> but we loved him for it. He had the best personality. And so we, you know, I was 15. I would throw tennis balls for him and stuff like that. He loved to retrieve them. But my dad actually took him hunting a couple times and realized that he naturally retrieved pretty well. And, you know, he'd bring a dove back to your feet. He wouldn't, he wouldn't deliver it to hand or anything like that, but he'd bring it back and drop it at your feet. And, um, he loved it. He loved to duck hunt. So it kind of became this thing. You know, people always ask, like, where's Moose? Are we going to hunt? We're going to get to hunt with Moose today. And <laughs> and so we, you know, we always would take him with us. And we always had a lab. You know, Moose would go out and get a couple ducks or, uh, you know, if we were dove hunting, I mean, I'd take only Moose. And he would go get most of my dove. You know, he loved to dove hunt. But, you know, he didn't mind water. He loved to swim. It didn't matter if the water was cold. He was going to do whatever the labs 
we're doing. <laughs> and um, once I got into retriever training, I thought, you know, it'd be really fun one day. I know Moose isn't going to be around forever. I'm not, you know, I, I'm aware of that. I don't like to think about it, but I'm aware of that. <laughs> and so I thought to myself that, you know, the next Jack Russell I have, I just want to see how far I can get it formally, like uh-huh. with formal training you know, force fetched and, and collar conditioned and steady and, and all, all of that. So, you know, Moose, I was very surprised, but he got, he got diagnosed with lymphoma two years ago now. And it was the most devastating day of my life. Still to this day, I can vividly remember sitting in the office and, you know, thinking that it was just going to be some stupid thing and it was nothing and we would get treatment for it and he'd be fine. And the doctor, you know, he said, he's got lymphoma. And I said, well, what do we need to do to cure that? (laughs) And he said, you know, without any medicine, he's got about six weeks to live. And I was just like, I don't even know how to respond to that. I, I was so in shock. And, you know, he said, if you do treatment, he could live for up to a year or two years. And, um, but he had gastrointestinal lymphoma And it was a lot worse for whatever reason, it was a lot worse and had progressed a lot quicker than, um, you know, some dogs do. Well, we did chemo with him and, you know, chemo is not for dogs. Isn't the traditional chemo that humans get where it really tear, it does tear their body up, but it does give them a better quality of life. Like they, they actually feel better from it. Uh Uh, However that works, I don't know, but, but he felt great when he was on chemo. So he, he lived for about two months on chemo and I, I was not ready for that. I didn't expect him to, you know, I didn't expect him to, I I thought it'd at least be six months. I mean, I just was trying to be optimistic and it wasn't, and I didn't wait around for him to have seizures or anything like that. I just, one day, you know, he wasn't happy anymore. And, um, my dad flew in and we, you know, we made the decision to put him down, but, Um, obviously, you know, you've had dogs before and it's the worst decision that you have to make in your life to do that. You know what I mean? Cause all these things go through your mind, Yeah. (laughs) you know, is it the right time? Do they, they don't understand. You can't talk to a person and tell them why you're doing what you're doing, but so it's hard. It's really hard. But, um, after Moose passed away, I had contacted the lady who, bred moose and sold moose to us, uh, 12 years prior to that. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I just want a dog that is related to him in some way. I realized that, you know, you, you probably don't have anything super closely related to moose, but you know, I absolutely loved him so much and I want the same personality. I'd like to get another one that likes to retrieve, which looking back, I don't think it would matter as long as you do it the right way, you could get whatever, you know, whatever, bloodline of Jack Russell that you want, you know, Uh but, but anyway, so I, I, um, she said, well, in about a year, I'm going to breed this dog and this dog and they have, they're related to moose down the line. And I said, that's perfect timing. I'm way ready for one right now. You know what I mean? Well, a couple weeks later, it was kind of, People think I'm such a goober for saying this, but it was seriously a God thing. I mean, it really was. I was so upset. I I couldn't stop crying one day. And I just told myself, I'll never have another Jack Russell. I could never do that to Moose. I, 
I just, I don't think it's ever going to happen. And I was so upset. Well, I think like 30 minutes later, I checked my email and she emailed me a picture of this little puppy. And she said, Hey, I just realized that I've got this litter right now that is related to moose. And this is the last puppy in the litter that's available. And he's seven weeks old today. Uh-huh. And she said, would you want him by chance? You know, she goes, I know it's a little bit too early. So if not, it's fine. But if you want him, he's yours. And I just started bawling again. Yeah. You know, I, I don't cry a lot, but this was a really emotional yeah. time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I called my fiance and my aunt and my mom and they all said, oh my gosh, you have to get that dog. Well, my mom, you know, they're, they were expensive puppies. And she said, I want to pay for the puppy for you because I know how devastated you are about moose. So she got me the puppy. And he turned out to be, you know, the, the biggest blessing from God. And he loves to retrieve. I mean, and this is nitro or who is this one? Gator. Gator. Yes. I was like, Oh, hang on. There's too many dogs involved. I'm trying to remember everybody's names. (laughs) Yeah. They all have somewhat similar. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Gator. And he, when I got him, I said to myself, look, if he doesn't retrieve, I'm still going to love him just as much. We're not, you know, I'm going to go into it knowing that it may, he may never be like Moose. Uh He may be his, he's going to be his own dog. I mean, obviously I'm a huge advocate for never using the word replacing Uh for, for getting a new dog. You're not, you're never replacing a pet. That's just, they all have different personalities. Right. Um, But obviously I wanted a Jack Russell that would retrieve. And so, you know, I was trying not to get my hopes up. Well, it turns out he is a nut for retrieving. I mean, he, he likes it more than most of the client dogs that I get in for training. I mean, it's, it's honestly, it's crazy. I don't even, I can't even handle it sometimes. He, he drives me insane. I mean, he really (laughs) is just, he drives me nuts. I can't, I mean, he has so much drive. That's true love right there. Like when they drive that crazy, you're like, oh my gosh, just stop. (laughs) Exactly. But I love you so much. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I just, I love the story of Moose and how, and just everything has just really come full circle for, you know, you had this, you had this dog that you're like, you know, like there's no real expectation for him to do anything or to be any kind of certain thing. But then you're like you know what? Why not? Why not just try it? And then it turned out to be this thing that people, that's what a lot of people know you for. I mean, and that's what exactly you know, my brother, you know, Jeremy, he's like, yeah, he's like, did you see yeah. what Alex did? Like that's a Jack <laughs> Russell out there. Like he's getting ducks out of the pond. Like he's going just as deep as the, yeah. the labs are like he's swimming. And this thing is almost bigger than him. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> I know he's that. Jack Russells just have no quit. I mean, they're not the kind of dog that you can say no to. You know what I mean? They, they're they going to do what they want to do. And because because Jack Russells are actually used for, a lot of people don't know this, they're really popular over in Africa as bay dogs. And a lot of times they're baying leopard and lions and stuff like that. Wow. And and even zebras. I mean, zebras are super dangerous when they're wounded. And, and it's, you know... You never know. I have I have a guy whose Jack Russell actually died because it bait up a zebra and the zebra bit it, picked it up by the stomach and started shaking it and it had internal bleeding passed away and oh and that's how he lost his dog. I, I could never put my Jack I love my 
that, but that's what they do. I, I really respect it. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't, um, you know, my, my, uh, yeah, my, the, the birds that we hunt are not aggressive, but I think if my dogs loved it, I would do that with them. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, but, but I just way too stressed out about my dog dying like that. You know what I mean? Um, but they're doing what they love. So that's, that's what they're bred to do. And, and that's what I love. So, I mean, it's, it's honestly probably the life for them. They love it. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So they don't have a lot of go. So Gator, you know, he's, I mean, last year he was on one of his first hunts and we had, uh, we shot a crippled goose that landed in the field behind us. And he was having trouble. Once he would come out of the water, he was dropping the geese and not delivering to hand. And so I thought, well, he knows he needs to bring that back to me, but they're really big. I was trying not to use a lot of pressure from the collar on him. Mm -hmm. So I sent him on that goose out in the field thinking this is going to make him understand because he's going to pick it up on land and deliver it to me on land versus coming out of the water and dropping it and then coming over to me. So I I would kind of connect the dots for him. So I send him on this goose and I am so sad that nobody saw it and that I didn't get it on video because <laughs> the goose gets up flying and Gator's never seen a crippled bird in his life until this day. It's a pretty big, you know, Canada goose, lesser Canada, but still a Canada goose. He takes off running and chases it through this dirt field and tackles it. <laughs> And brings it all the way back, delivers it to hand. And from that day on, he never had any problems bringing geese out of the water wow. and all the way back to me. And it really did connect the dots. It was so funny. But the, the best part about it was that it was this crippled goose that he was not afraid of at all. I mean, had no like, fear. I'm going to take you down. You're not. <laughs> yeah. <back here." laughs> he's like, he's like, you're mine, buddy. <laughs> That's so funny. So, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, we're going to. We're going to wrap up this section of the interview, but we're going to move on to the next part, which is the keeping it real questions. And I cannot wait to hear your answers to these because I ask everybody <laughs> these and they're all so different. So um, I'm going <laughs> to just throw them at you. So the first one is okay. what motivates you on days when things are super tough? Let's say you, you know, you're, you woke up late and you spilled your coffee on yourself, you know, nobody's listening or whatever the case may be. Like what motivates you to keep going when things are super tough? Oh man, I have days like that all the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, actually this is really weird and I don't know, you've probably never had this answer before, but I listen to a lot of music while I train mm -hmm. and it puts me in the best mood. And so if I'm having a really bad day, I just crank up my Pandora or whatever it is. <laughs> um, but another thing that motivates me is I have a goal with the hunt tests that I try to, you know, stick to a program and, and that's, you know, day by day, if the dog's having a problem, we just work through it. And, and if they're having an issue, we always end it on a positive note. We, I, I try to end it on a positive note because dogs get their feelings hurt <laughs> just yeah. like people do. Yeah. And if you can end it in a good way where they're happy and you're happy, 
usually you can come back the next day and, and they got it. Like they, you'll find out that they really got the lesson. They understand it. And you may not think that that day, but that's, that's one big thing that motivates me a lot is knowing that I'm going to come out the next day and it's, it may not be better, but most likely they're going to work with me a lot more than they did on a day where we're just, we're not clicking. (laughs) We're not seeing eye to eye. You know what I mean? Well, that's a um, good, I think that's so, a good healthy outlook to have. Right. And, and, you know, look at it this way. This is a dog that someone's going to have for 13 years, possibly. Yeah. And so I'm doing it, you know, it, it helps me to stay patient because a lot of trainers get impatient and we all get impatient, you know, dog training it's really difficult. Like, I mean, you have kids, so yeah. you, you can totally relate. Yes. <laughs> 100%. <Well>, <laughs> yes. So staying patient is a really, really big thing. And I look at it this way. I mean, this is a dog. This is a huge in- investment for somebody. Um, not to mention it's a dog. They don't think like us. Mm-hmm. You know, they really don't understand certain things and you have to put it together in a way that they will understand and they don't all learn the same way. Sometimes you have to do different things with different dogs and that keeps me on track. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just, just knowing that this is a, I guess it's a marathon, not a race. Yeah. Is that the saying? It's not a sprint. (laughs) Yeah. It's a marathon, not a sprint. A marathon, not a sprint. There you go. Yes. Yep. So that's kind of the way I look at it. Well, that's great. Well, that actually segues into the next question I have is, do you consider yourself a perfectionist? Who, you know, I do. (laughs) I'm very much a perfectionist. I want, I want perfection, but that's another thing that you have to realize with dogs. They're not perfect. They're just like people. And so what I, what I strive for is a dog that isn't perfect, but reliable. And I, I did not come up with that saying that that came from another trainer that's famous. And, and that, that's what I try to live by (laughs) is they, they aren't, they aren't perfect. They're reliable. So you can trust them to almost always do what you need or what you want out of them, but it's not always going to be perfect because there's always things that get in the way that confuse them. Uh, so I try to, I try to keep that in mind. You know what I mean? Because I am a perfectionist. And and so in order to stay sane, you have to realize that they are going to make mistakes. I mean, that is absolutely 100% going to happen. So, so that helps me out a little bit. Cause I don't think, I don't think being a perfectionist is necessarily a good thing. Well, I think uh, it has, I think it has at least in my line of work. And, I think it has pros and cons to in any it, aspect yeah. of life for sure. I, I can see I agree. either side being a perfectionist or not being a perfectionist. There's definitely, you know, the, yeah, it's definitely, it, yes. it depends on how you deal with your perfectionism and how exactly. it sounds like you have a yeah. very healthy outlook on that. And when you said that about, you know, they're not perfect. They're reliable. I was just thinking that's really good to think about the people that you have in your life too. You know, like right. the people in your life aren't perfect, but if you have some really good, reliable people, like I will settle for that. 
For sure. 100%. Yes, absolutely. Nobody's perfect. Everyone makes, everyone makes mistakes. And I mean, dogs are the same way. And, you know, the difference maybe with dogs is they're so, I mean, they don't judge, you know, they're, they're just, they're not judgment. They, they love you either way. They don't care. Uh, so I try to, I try to give them the same respect, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm not always perfect though. They make me very, they make me very mad at times. Yeah. And so I, I'm not going to lie they, I mean, they stress me out at times. Um, but like I said, I just crank the music up and try to stay calm. And if it's a really bad day, sometimes we'll just quit early. We, you know, we'll end it on a good and do some fun, fun bumpers or something like that. And we'll just stop and come back out the next day. You know, every, each day's a new day. So, yeah. Well, the next question I have for you is what's the best advice you would give to your younger self? Ooh, that's interesting. I might have to think about that for a second. <laughs> and that is okay because actually that kind of hits everybody the same way every time I ask it. Right. So. <laughs> <clears throat> I've learned a lot. I mean, so, okay, I've got an answer. I have <laughs> learned so much, you know, being in this industry and doing new things I've done a lot of new things in the last three years, even just, you know, I did a photo shoot, which made me very nervous. You know, I flew to Minnesota for it and, uh, was working with one of the, he's, he's probably the most famous photographer in the hunting industry, but he also does other stuff as well in the fashion industry. And I mean, he's incredible and I was so nervous. Well, it turns out, you know, everybody was so much fun and they were so laid back and he's a good friend of mine now, you know? And, and so when I was younger, if I made a mistake or I said something stupid that didn't make sense, or I didn't use the right word, I used to get so down on myself and I'd be so, so upset and it would bother me for days. And now, you know, after being in the industry and, and trying new things, doing things that make me uncomfortable, like going to a photo shoot and being, um, you know, having to be in front of so many people like that. Uh, it's, it's really taught me just to, everybody says dumb things and everybody, nobody has perfect grammar all the time or whatever. So just don't beat yourself up over it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do things all the time that are just, that they're just dumb. I mean, why did I say that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I just, I've learned in the last couple of years, do not worry about it because everybody's been there and just move on. It doesn't matter. It's in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's nobody's going to remember that. And, and they've done the same thing before. So that's one thing that I would, the advice that I would have is just don't be so hard on yourself. Oh, I think that is the perfect way to wrap up this interview because that's just <laughs> like, it's such a good umbrella, you know statement to live your life by no matter what you're mm -hmm. doing is, you know, just, just keep going. Cause we're all, we all have no idea what we're doing anyway. We're just pretending that we do. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's so true. I mean, even if you're, even if you're a doctor, you're going to make mistakes, right? You know, right. I mean, 
it happens and right. yeah so no that was I had a blast thanks so much for having me on well so before you go tell uh, all of our listeners where they can learn more about um, your dog training business or just more about you if you have a website or social media where can everybody find you absolutely so I don't have a website yet because right now I'm in the process of moving training facilities as soon as we buy property but we are in the process of doing that and so I'm, I'm holding off on that for now, but my social media, um, let's see, my Instagram is at one shot Lou, uh, it's O N E S H O T L U. And my Facebook is facebook.com slash Brittingham. And it's public. Uh, you can follow me, um, and view all the posts, you know, we don't have to be friends or anything. You can see everything. So, um, definitely follow and, and follow along with the dogs and Gator and, um, and all of that. So, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was so much fun and it was great to catch up with you. And I hope that you've inspired some other people out there just, just to have fun with their dogs and have fun with their animals and to, Make them be obedient. <laughs> That's like yes, like yes. Obedience is so important. <laughs> but thank you for coming on the show today, Alex. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. I'm going to keep this really short because Alex and I talked so much about so many things, but I wanted to make sure we had plenty of time to cover her story about her sweet moose and little gator. But guys, I just wanted to say that Alex is paving her way in a place where you don't typically see women, and I absolutely applaud her for that. Not only is she making a name for herself, but her and Gator are pushing the boundaries for what we expect when it comes to the hunting and dog training industry. And who knows, maybe one day it'll be the norm to imagine them as the first image that comes into mind when you think about hunting. But that does it for episode 13. Remember to check out the show notes at crystalprofit.com slash podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave a review. And check out Gator's Instagram account. It's at Gator underscore the duck dog. Y'all, and the pictures there that Alex shares are just, they're amazing. You have to go check them out. But stay tuned for next week's show. And remember, keep it up, rookies. We all have to start somewhere. <laughs>